0: What do you love about your dad? So, my dad is my superhero. He he gives me strength and hope. Um, I think probably the thing that I have loved most about you is how intentional you are about spending time together. Mm-hmm. You're a hard-working man, and just your passion for all of us as a family. is just, it's just great. Thanks bud. Dad, mm-hmm. what about me makes you proud? Oh, tons of stuff. <laughs> your wit, your beauty, uh, inner and outer beauty, your your love for the Lord, love for people. Yeah, you're just an amazing young lady. How you found your way, uh, your relationship with God, and that's what makes us proud. So you proud is that what about me makes you proud everything that you are like everything I've seen that clip 10 times now, and I keep on crying. <laughs> Man, um, there was a group of young adults who were surveyed, uh, and they were asked uh, to reflect on their childhood. And one of the questions that they were asked was, what do you want the most from your dad? Um, and the most common answer uh, that, they re- that they responded with was, I want my dad to be proud of me. That's good, right? It's good. To know that someone's proud of you, to know that someone knows you so well, and is committed to you. Father's Day is, is, it's a complicated day, isn't it? I know for some of you, you're just so excited to be here with your dad today, you're so excited to spend time with your dad today, you're so excited to call your dad today, and I'm here to celebrate with you, Um, and just as I'm just kind of reading the room here, I also know that Father's Day is complicated. Um, I know that some of you really wish that you could just have one more conversation. And that hurts. Some of you feel this absence in your life because your, your dad let you down. He didn't make you feel like he was proud of you. I wasn't planning on starting this sermon on such an emotional note, but I, I just think I've got to follow the spirit here. Wherever it is that you are today and whatever feelings that you have because of Father's Day, whether that's celebrating, whether that's sad, whether that's angry, God is in this place. And if you're someone who feels loved and honored and cherished and proud of today, God's saying, Can you go! And if you're someone today who feels a little bit left out, just know this, God does not leave you out. He will never, ever leave you out. He doesn't forget you. In fact, the book of Psalms, it tells us this. When it describes God, it says, He's a father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. God places those who are lonely in families. This can be your family. There's a reason why we call hope a church family. You got a family here. We're not trying to replace anything in your life, but we are trying to point to the one who can fill any hole that we have with his eternal love. It never runs out. It's a well that never runs dry. God is a father to the fatherless, defender of widows. God places the lonely in families. And so today we still dare to celebrate. As the author of Lamentations says after listing off this long list of problems in their life, yet I still dare to hope because, Lord, your mercies are new every single morning. And so here we are today daring to celebrate. Maybe that's easy for you. And for some of you, maybe, maybe that's difficult. God's here for you, and he's a father to the fatherless. Back on Mother's Day, our pastoral intern, Haley Shepherds, talked a lot about how uh, God is compared to a mother throughout the Bible as well, and God can fill those places as well. But today on Father's Day, we're, we're talking about this, and, uh, and I want to do that by diving into yet another Bible story. This is the final week of our sermon series called, My Favorite Bible Story and Why?, And today I'm going to tell you about one of my absolute favorite Bible stories that I've just been in love with over the last five or six years. This is a story about a young man named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. That's not easy, is it? Can we give a round of applause for Brian, our Bible reader, this morning? She was amazing. I tell you what, that was not easy. Mephibosheth was not the only hard name uh, to say there. Mephibosheth is this beautiful story, it's a hard story, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's sad, it's tragically beautiful, but it needs to be told. Uh, Sometimes I feel bad for Mephibosheth because I think that it might be more popular uh, if he had a little bit more of a marketable name, you know, at least in the Western world, like you don't hear kids saying, Mommy, Daddy, let's read about Mephibosheth tonight, you know, like, Mephibosheth, let's read about him, you know, but it's a beautiful story and I, and I, I don't want us to miss out on it. And don't worry, most people don't know this story. I, I didn't know this story until I was in seminary. Um, and, and like I said, since then I, I've fallen in love with it. So if you're sitting next to someone right now who's like nodding their head like, yes, yes, uh, I'm a uh, He's from the New Old Testament, right? Yeah, you know, it, it's okay. It's, it's not a rather popular story in the Bible, but it, it is an important one. Mephibosheth had his life off to a good start. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Saul was the king of Israel, powerful. Jonathan was next in line to become the king. That meant Mephibosheth one day was going to be king. He had a life ready for comfort. He was in royalty. And it wasn't because of anything that he did. He was in line to receive something great simply because of who his father was. I think that one of the greatest gifts a father can give their child is simply access. I think that when fathers like, really try really hard, whether it's sometimes for good results or bad results, they're doing their absolute best and they want to give their kids the ability to see something, to do something, to know something that they couldn't have found on their own, right? When I think about my childhood, and I think about some of the most vivid memories that I have, I think about a trip that my family took to Disney World, and this was before you had to give up your retirement plan to go to Disney World, but nonetheless, when I was about five years old, my family and I, we were at Disney World, and I remember uh, I was so excited because Mickey and his gang were about to be coming down the street during the parade, but I, I was too little, and I couldn't see. There was nothing I could do about it. My dad noticed it and he immediately lifted me up, throws me on his shoulders. I still remember vividly the black Chicago Bulls hat that he had on. I just remember this. And I remember losing my mind when I see Mickey coming down. And now I'm not sitting on his shoulders, I'm standing on his head and like kicking his face. You know, he he didn't care. I think that fathers, what they really want to do for their children when they're at their best... They just want their their child to have a good experience. And it doesn't really matter about their own comfort level. My dad in that moment, he cared more about me being happy than him being comfortable. And I know that it's not always about making your kids happy. But are you able to lose some comfort for the sake of somebody else's gain? Can you do that? That's something that fathers do. So here's some pictures of my dad and me. I'm so fortunate. I've got a great dad. He's your senior pastor, so I'm glad to tell you that. He's here today. Hi, Dad. I love you. Um, Hope you think I'm doing all right. (laughs) Uh, Let's give some hallelujahs and amens in this sermon, right? Let's get really responsive. I I just, I love my relationship with my dad. It's awesome. Uh, We get to work together, which is really cool. Um, We've preached together. We've done ridiculous skits together. We go to NASCAR races together. We go to Cubs games together. Um, But I think that just the best moments that I have with my dad are just when we're sitting by ourselves and we're just talking about nothing, right? Talking about everything and nothing all at the same time. It's not just like those big extravagant gifts that you can give your kid, that access, right? It's also just access to your heart. That's the greatest gift of access you can give your child. And it's not something that the child can earn. It's not something that the child can do. In the same way that I could not have seen Mickey by myself that morning, no matter what I tried. I could only see Mickey because of who my father was. And my dad's let me into his heart because of who he is. There's something to be said about what a father can do when they give up their comfort. Because they love their child. Because they care for them. So, Mephibosheth, he had that in his life, right? Like, his life was good. He had a good father. But then his life, it, it, it took a quick turn for the worse. Um, and in order to explain that, I want to make sure that we get to some of the context of what's happening. So let's hop back into our Bible story. See, David, or Mephib- Mephibosheth's father, his name was Jonathan, like we said. Now, Jonathan became best friends with David. Yes, that David, from David and? Good! Where'd he go? Jonathan and David became very close friends. Jonathan was a good guy. He was loyal. He was faithful. He was committed. He was the kind of guy who was willing to give up his comfort for somebody else's gain. He had that kind of focus on kindness. But then Jonathan came to a crossroads in his life because as he was developing this friendship with David, his father began to hate David. Remember, Saul was the king. And David was this great champion in Israel. He defeated Goliath. Like, this is this great war champion. There's this passage where Saul says, you know, I'm just so sick of all these people. I know that David's gone out and he's done a few good things for me. But now all the people there are saying that David, he's killed tens of thousands of people in war. And I've only beaten thousands. Kind of a whiner. He says, you know, before you know it, they'll give him the throne. Now, in those days, it, it was not uncommon. If the king felt threatened, they knew how to take care of it. They would take somebody out. David sensed that. He knew what was going to be happening. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He was always watching him. Saul wanted to stay comfortable. He would not give up his place of comfort for the sake of somebody else's gain. He couldn't do that. He had worked so hard to earn this, right? Oh wait, no, no, he didn't. He, he, he got it. He was given to him. Sometimes in life when we think about the gifts that we have, we think that we've worked so hard to get them. And yes, I know that you've used your gifts and it's a wonderful thing. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 talks about how God has given us each a gift and we're supposed to use those to serve one another. But so often we think that our gifts are used to earn our own accomplishments and our own trophies and our own achievements. Little do we know is that as God's people, we put others first. Saul, he, he had it backwards, and so he keeps a jealous eye on David. And then two assassination attempts later, David's like, hey, I need to talk to my friend Jonathan about this. This is a real big problem. And so David and Jonathan, they have this conversation where, where David says, hey, what have I done that has made your dad so upset that he would want to kill me? Uh, translation, your dad's losing it. Jonathan goes back and says, like, no, no, no like, this couldn't happen. Right? I, I would never let that happen to you. And so Jonathan and David, they, they make this vow to one another. They share in this covenant. Jonathan says this, I, I, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that my father doesn't hurt you. I'm going to give up my place of comfort for your sake. May you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love too. There's this covenant happening. It's very interesting for Jonathan to say this. Remember, Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan was next in line to become king. Jonathan knew, as long as David is alive, I will never sit on the throne. But he makes this decision. I'm going to give up my comfortable life for the benefit of somebody else. And why? It's because of this faithful love. Faithful love. There's a specific word for that in the Old Testament. It's called chesed. Everybody say chesed. Chesed. This is a beautiful word, chesed. And it does mean faithful love, but it also means, uh, quite literally, steadfast kindness. Commitment. Kindness is a complicated word that sometimes gets a uh, misunderstood reputation, doesn't it? Sometimes people equate kindness with, uh, with, 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 uh, with weakness. Sometimes people equate kindness with softness. Sometimes people think that the kind person is the person who just never wants to be bothered. But if you take a look at this definition, no, steadfast kindness. Steadfast kindness is not weak. It is not soft. It stands its place. There is nothing that can stop this kind of kindness. There is a focus on the one That a friend loves, that a father loves. There's a focus. Listen, a kind person is not someone who just says, oh, I don't want to be a bother. A kind person is someone who is so focused on the person that they love that they will not be bothered by any threats or distractions. The kind person is the one who's focused. The kind person is the one who's steadfast. The kind person is the one who is committed. That's a difficult word these days, isn't it, committed? Do you think our society has a problem with commitment? I think we might have a little bit of a problem with commitment. I read a study this last week, and I don't know necessarily how they totally found this, but I read a study this week that said that 39% of millennials, which is my generation, struggle with commitment phobia. Did you know there was such a thing? I don't know how they measure that, but apparently they do, and I read it in psychology today, so take it up with them. 39% deal with commitment phobia. And if you think like, yeah, I know, young people, they just never follow through on anything. Keep in mind that one of the other things that was cited in the article is that they said that one of the reasons for this is because the example that's been set for us, people who are currently retiring have changed careers (laughs) 11 times, (laughs) 11! And you wonder why we're so afraid of commitment, right? No, I think that we can all get on this bus. Gen Zers, I haven't read any research on you all yet, so I think you're off the hook for now, but we struggle with commitment. My wife could tease me about this. There are so many times where she's like, all right, so what do you want to do on Friday night? I'm like, oh, well, maybe we get together with people for dinner. Within 30 minutes, she tells me, all right, we got these six people coming over. And I'm like, well, wh- what? She's like, I thought that was the choice. I'm like, what if I had a new choice? I don't know. Sometimes it's so scary. We think that we have to find no- uh, all these different options. you always have to have them at our disposal. When was the last time that you walked into somebody's uh, kitchen and you saw their fridge? Um, do you ever notice something? that almost everybody has on their fridge these days? So uh, my wife and I, we, we got married last summer, so we sent out some invitations, right, for people to come to our wedding. Uh, we didn't get to invite everybody that we wanted to. Sorry, there was a pandemic. Uh, nothing personal whatsoever. But uh, it was interesting, as, as we sent out those, those, those uh, invites, because there was a pandemic, we had a lot of people responding and saying no. We had a lot of people saying, I, I, don't, I don't know yet man when we got somebody to say yeah i'm coming oh yes yes we got 10 people coming to our wedding you know it's gonna be awesome but it's amazing sometimes when you send out the invitations you're just waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting you're like should i call them should i text them should i message them should i go to their house should i knock on the door should I just be waiting inside their kitchen when they get home? Because when I go inside, I know that right on their fridge, I will see the invitation maybe on the floor. That didn't stick up like I wanted it to. But nonetheless, I mean how many I feel like every single kitchen that I go into these days. <laughs> I'm gonna get back to that later. It's it's the leopard magnet. I think that's probably what's not working. But I feel like every single kitchen that I go into these days has an RSVP that's unanswered to, right? So we're like, well, I'd like to go to it, but, but I, I, I can't commit to that yet. What if, what if something else comes up? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of floating around our society, you know? Advertisers know this. That's why when they try to get you to get a new cell phone, they just say, we'll just cancel you out of your old plan. Forget them. There's no commitment. Come on over. We all know this. Sometimes I wonder why young people have a hard time with commitment. I seriously think a big part of it is because of social media. And not just in general, but because of social media, we dealt with certain kinds of commitments growing up that other people didn't have to deal with growing up before us. See, on Facebook, when you have your biography page, and there's that section where it says relationship status, do you know how terrifying that was as like a 15-year-old kid growing up? I mean, it's like, I kind of like you, I kind of don't, I don't know, oh, should I? And then that follows you. You're always like, I don't know, should I tell people? Do I list single? Do I list in a relationship? Do I list it's complicated? Is it really that complicated? I mean, I always wondered about that. Who are you complicated with? (laughs) It's this commitment issue. I always wonder. Is it real? Because all of a sudden, when you are switching that Facebook status into the younger people in here, Facebook is this thing that a guy named Mark created like 20 years ago. (laughs) You know, And you switch that, and all of a sudden, you're like, okay, now I'm not only just saying I'm committed to you, I'm also saying to everyone else that I'm committed to you. And that's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. And sometimes it's more comfortable just to leave that RSVP unanswered and on our kitchen fridge, sometimes falling off. You get the gist. Do you have a hard time committing? I can relate to it. I, I understand. It's difficult because committing to someone, committing to something is uncomfortable. But do you want to really test kindness? Do you want to test kindness in your own heart? Do you want to know the the authenticity of kindness around you? Real kindness is when someone does not just commit to you to your face, but also commits to you when everybody else is around. You are really being kind to someone when you're not just committed to that person in kindness when they're around, but when everybody else can hear about it. Are you steadfast in your commitment, in your kindness? It's one of the things that can make a dad so great. Sometimes dads can be the most loyal, I mean fiercely loyal people in the world. Don't you love that? I mean, I get it. Like sometimes you go home and maybe you were driving too fast and your dad saw you coming into the cul-de-sac. I'm not speaking from previous experience, I'm just saying. And he gives you a little bit of a lecture. He says, hey, you can't drive that fast. Come into the cul-de-sac. But then when he's in your car... And someone cuts you off, dad, take the wheel. You know? There's that fierce loyalty. He's a pastor, he's a man of grace, and he would never do anything that was inappropriate to the drivers around us. I can promise you that. But certainly he would stick up for me. Because he's committed to me, and it's not just to my face, but he's committed to me around other people. And he's proud to be committed to me. That was the kind of commitment that we saw between Jonathan and David. This proud commitment. I'm not just telling you to your face that I'm committed to you. I am committed to you around anyone. I am proud of you in my life. Whether you live or you die, I am committed to you. And I'm not going anywhere on my word. So what's your commitment like? Let's keep this in mind as we hop back into the story um, about Mephibosheth. And again, this is still about David. Jonathan, on the next slide, there we go. Awesome. When we talk about Mephibosheth, this kind of sets the scene when we think about David and Jonathan's relationship that led into the scene that that turned Mephibosheth's life around. Remember, let's go back one more time. Saul was the king. Jonathan was his son. Mephibosheth was the grandson. One day, Mephibosheth was supposed to be king. But it didn't work out like that. See, Jonathan was so committed to David. He was so willing to be uncomfortable. He was so proud of his covenant friendship with David that he protected him. He'd go with Saul places and continue to protect David. He'd keep Saul away from David. He would honor his father, but he would keep Saul from hurting David. So far that one day, Jonathan followed Saul into a hopeless battle on a hill. And just at the end of the book of First Samuel it just says very simply, Saul's three sons were killed, one of them was Jonathan. It's just gone. There's this level of commitment. So now Mephibosheth his access is gone. Saul had the throne, it was supposed to go to Jonathan, then to Mephibosheth, but 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 it's gone. It's disappeared. Saul died in the battle too. And since Saul's regime was over and now David's regime was taking over in those days, remember, if Saul wanted someone to get out of the way of him continuing to have the throne, he would knock them out. And so those people in Saul's regime would have thought, okay, now King David's coming, what's King David going to do to me? If Saul was going to, to, to send out and kill everybody who was in his way of the throne, what do kings do? King David would clearly do the same to me, they thought. And so there's this mad, chaotic scene in the palace. And there's this servant, who's, who, this nurse, who's running with Mephibosheth. She picks him up and she flees. But the scene is so chaotic that she drops Mephibosheth. And he became crippled. He breaks his legs. And, and as we learn from the rest of the story, that his body never recovered. Mephibosheth, at five years old, the Bible tells us, had everything taken from him. He lost his throne. He lost his dad. He lost his home. Later in the story, when we find out where Mephibosheth is living, they say he's living in a place called Lodabar, which literally means nothing. He's gone to nothing. In those days, it wasn't like today where we have uh, different services for people who would uh, have disabilities like that. And so Mephibosheth, more than likely, probably spent most of his life begging. He went from royalty to begging because he lost his dad. He lost his access. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I can relate to Mephibosheth. Because I just feel like I'm not right. Like in a way, way, way less way. I feel like I can relate to Mephibosheth. Because Mephibosheth, his life just fell apart around him. And none of it was his own fault, was it? He was broken because of a fall that he had nothing to do with. It wasn't his fault. And there are times in my life where I'm like, I don't know if I'm broken, but something just doesn't feel right. And I can't even explain how I got here. I don't know. There are certainly times in our lives when we are responsible for the consequences that are happening around us, but there are also times in our lives when things just fell apart and now we're hurting because of it. And again, we find ourselves in that place of feeling left out. But do not forget the covenant, the steadfast commitment, the power of real kindness. See, David never forgot Jonathan's steadfast kindness for him. His faithful love, his commitment. He never forgot it. So who knows if it was years later, decades later, but one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? It's the same word, kesed, for Jonathan's sake. Is there anyone out there? You heard it in the reading this morning that sure, certainly somebody responds and says, yeah, there's, there's Mephibosheth. He, he's the one who lost everything. He's the one who can't walk anymore. He's the one who's probably been begging. He's the one who's living in the place called nothing. And David says, bring him in. I, I, I want to be kind to him. You know, sometimes we get really, really excited about receiving an invitation, Right? How excited do you get to send out the invitation? This is what God's people do. We don't just get excited when we receive the invitation. We don't just get excited when we're excited to, uh, we don't just get excited when we're ready to attend the party. We get excited when we invite people to the party. David's filled with joy. He said, bring Mephibosheth in, bring him in. Mephibosheth comes in, you heard it in the story, Mephibosheth just simply falls down. He's basically trying to protect himself. He's lost everything. The only thing he has left at this point is the breath in his lungs. Everything else has been taken from him. He bows down before King David. He says, I'm your servant. And David has to respond saying, don't be afraid. The reason why he has to say don't be afraid is because he knew Mephibosheth thought this was a death sentence. But David wasn't there to hurt him. David said, you are going to eat at my table. You are going to eat with the king for the rest of your life. You'll be one of my own. The story concludes, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. How poetically beautiful is that? Mephibosheth had a problem. Mephibosheth had broken... And it was to no fault of his own. And yet, Mephibosheth was rewarded with the king's table also to no credit of his own. But simply because of who his father was. Because of commitment. Because of steadfast love. I wonder if the reason why we do get excited when we receive that invitation back and it says, yes, I'm coming... I mean, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say, like, we feel that because we're made in the image of God and God gets so excited when we check yes to his invitation. You know God sent out an invitation to you. Come on in. You're welcome here. God's not just proud of you to your face. God is proud of you and committed to you no matter who can hear. He's not distracted by any threat. Think about it. Mephibosheth showed up before King David and he said, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm not a threat, don't hurt me. Well, he was a threat. He was an heir to the throne. He was the only one who could take King David's throne back away from him. And King David says, no, I will not treat you as a threat, I will treat you as a son. Because of who your father is. Mephibosheth got to check yes. And what joy that brought the king. What joy it brings God When you check yes to his RSVP, you say, I'm home. I'm here. And listen, if this is just a story, right, like about Mephibosheth, and it's just something that happened a long time ago, and it's something that makes us very happy for Mephibosheth, it's kind of a feel-good story, right? If it's just symbolic, though, we're eventually going to run out of motivation and inspiration from this story. And in fact, maybe sometimes it would actually leave you feeling a little bit left out. Why don't I have a friend like that? Why don't I have a father like that? Why isn't anyone committed to me? Oh, but you do have a friend. You do have a father. You do have a God who says, I will get uncomfortable for your benefit. It says this in the book of Philippians chapter 2, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. Though he was God talking about Christ. He gave up his divine privileges. It says that he humbled himself to be one of us. You want to know what God's invitation is to you? God's invitation to you is Christ. It's Jesus standing before you and he says, I'm committed to you. I love you. I'm really, really kind. I'm not just going to say it to your face. I'm proud of you when everybody else is around. I'm steadfast. I'm not afraid to be a bother in anybody's life. I'm also so in love with you and so committed to you and so focused on you that nothing could bother me away from doing that. There's no threat. There's no distraction that could break his focus. This is how he feels when he looks at you. You do have that friend. Because when he looks at you, he says, I-, I know that there are some things in your life where it's a consequence, and maybe you walked yourself into that, and that's really difficult. But he says, let's go, and let- let's go and let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Let's walk through it together. And then there are the situations in life where it's, I'm broken, something's not right, and I didn't do anything to cause this. What's happening here? We don't have all the answers for that, but what we do have is you don't have to climb on your own. You don't have to outstretch your own neck to see over the crowds. Because you have a friend, the Son of God, and that God calls you his children. Make no mistake. The reward that Christ gives us to sit at his table, to enjoy fellowship, community with God. I couldn't do it on my own. It'd be like a 5-year-old trying to see over a crowd of grown-ups. But because of who my Father is, because of who your Father is, you get access. You have an invitation. but Let's ask this question again. You have an invitation, and you ought to be filled with so much joy to receive that invitation. And I pray that you say, yes, yes, God. I want you. I need your love. I love spending time with you. You're not a second backup plan for me. Now, who has God called you to send an invite out to? I hope there's somebody in your mind right now. I mean, not just generally, specifically. I hope there's somebody in your mind right now. God's called us in to send us out. To send out more invitations. Listen, at at Lutheran Church of Hope, this is a place where we say all people are welcome. And when we say all people are welcome, do you know what we really mean? We mean that this place was created with you in mind. Because of who your father is. Because of how committed he is to you. Because of the access he's given us, we, it is a wide open door. Come on in. Come on in. So what's what's stopping you? Right? What's stopping you? I know commitment is scary, but really, what's stopping us? Let's get really practical here. You're thinking about volunteering for VBS. What's stopping you? You're thinking about bringing school supplies. What's stopping you? You're thinking about reaching out to that friend. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Nothing stopped your father. Nothing stops your friend. He is so kind. He's so steadfast. He's so in love with you. He's so proud of you, even when the rest of the world is there to see it. It feels good to check yes on that invitation. You know what's going to feel really good? When God uses you to send an invitation out to someone else and they check yes to sudden they feel valuable feel important they don't feel like a nothing Mephibosheth says what in the world are you doing being so nice to a dead dog like me some of us feel that way there are a lot of people in the world who feel that way the God their family friends. So bring them on in. Who are you going to invite? Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.